We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the 2018 Team Preview Series, a special edition of Rotoviz Radio. Today we'll be looking at the Seattle Seahawks. I'm your host, Stéphane Lacoe, and you can find me on Twitter at StéphaneLacoe. And our guest today is Bob Condota of the Seattle Times. You can find him on Twitter at BCondota. In this episode, he talks about what to expect from the Seahawks after an offseason with a lot of changes. The defense has almost completely turned over from the Super Bowl era, and there are a ton of questions on that side of the ball. The offense has a new offensive coordinator, a new offensive line coach, and this could really affect the skill position players throughout the offense as well. So we take some time to speculate on what effect this could have on Russell Wilson, the running backs, and all the receiving weapons. After the interview, we'll take a few minutes to analyze what Bob said, and we'll be looking at the running back split and receiving targets using some of the Rotoviz apps. For those of you who don't know, Rotoviz is a sports data and analytics site that publishes over 1,000 articles per year and has a suite of more than 20 proprietary apps. Go to rotaviz.com to check out the site. And now, let's bring on the guest. Today's guest is Bob Condota. He follows the Seahawks for the Seattle Times. You can follow him on Twitter at vcondota. Bob, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Sure. Yeah. How you guys doing? Yeah, it's it's been a crazy off season. 
And now we have our first preseason game behind us. Uh, just before we get started, Bob, to you, what's been the biggest storyline for the Hawks so far since the end of last season? Well, it's really just been the turnover of the veterans. You know, you go from, uh, you know, at the moment, like on Thursday night, they play against the Colts. There's not a single member of what you would consider the Legion of Boom out there in the secondary. You know, with Byron Maxwell out due to the injury, and then they, you know, Earl Thomas is holding out. They, they cut Richard Sherman. They cut Jeremy Lane. Uh, Cam Chancellor's out for the year, probably never going to play again. I mean, that's it's just a significant part of their personality is gone, not to mention, you know, Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill up front. And, you know, there's only about uh, five or six guys really left from the team that won the Super Bowl. So it's hardly, you know, hardly feels like the same team anymore other than, you know, obviously when you got Russell Wilson, it's a, you've got a significant link to it. But, right. you know, in general, it sort of feels like that part of the team is gone and they're, and they're kind of starting over with the new identity. Right. Now, and with that, what do you what are your expectations for the Seahawks for this year? Do you think they uh I know I know Seattle the the 12s are going to hope for the playoffs no matter what. But what do you think's realistic? A lot of a lot of the experts out there have them as a 6 to 8 win team. Do you think that's a little low or do you think that might be what's in store this year? I mean, I don't think it's unfair, but I I still think they've got a chance to make the playoffs. I mean, I mean a 6 win team means you can be right in the playoff hunt too in January and December, you know. Uh the, the way things go anymore. Um, I, I think with, when you've got, you know, Russell Wilson looked great uh, against the Colts. I, I think he's right in the prime of his career, uh, you know, not battling any health stuff or anything right now. And I, I think as long as you have a quarterback like that, that just makes such a difference in the NFL. And I think that right there makes you a team capable of being in the playoff hunt um, going into December. And then it's just a matter of, you know, what else happens, what else breaks right. Uh, you know, I still think they can be good enough defensively. To, to hang in games as well, uh, you know, despite all the guys I just mentioned aren't there anymore. Um, Pete Carroll has a pretty amazing, you know, he's had a pretty amazing track record for a long time as both a defensive coordinator and a head coach of figuring out how to put a, a decent defense together. And uh, I think he's, um, I, I think he'll figure out a way, uh, you know, when you still got like guys like Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright and, yeah. and a few of the others that they have of, of making that good enough. So I, you know, I think they can. I think they can be in that eight, 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 nine win stage, and then you know, it kind of depends on health and and how and how everything breaks and things like that. Yeah, and you're right about the defense. I think the D line is still really strong. I love Nazir Jones, and I think they're. I think they're going to be really solid. Do you do you have an idea of how you think the secondary will shake out? Yeah, I mean, some of it we do for sure. I mean, Shaquille Griffin is or is going to be a is going to be um, you know the starting left cornerback with Richard Sherman's old spot. Uh, they moved him over there, and, and Bradley McDougal is for sure going to be one of the safeties. Uh, the rest, uh, Justin Coleman, will be their nickel. So, you know, if you consider the nickel sort of a starting position, I think three or three of the five are set. The other yeah. two, there's there's a little bit of intrigue too. But you know, Byron Maxwell has been has been the starter throughout camp at the other corner spot. They they like him quite. You know, he played pretty well when he came back last year. He knows the system. He's sort of the steady veteran guy they have. And then the other big the big story obviously is the other safety spot. And Earl Thomas continues to hold out. And if Earl's not there when the regular season begins, which at this point looks like the more likely thing, um, they'll have to figure out who the other safety is. And and I, I, I think it's impossible to say yet for sure. But you know, against the Colts, Tedrick Thompson got the start there. Um, it was hard to tell how he played, just the way preseason games go, and you got backup quarterbacks in there exactly, and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, it's sort of hard to assess it. But, um, you know, him or Maurice Alexander, I think right now, it would be, the, it would be uh, you know, one of those two guys, I think, would be the other, the other starting safety. You know. Yeah, that's, that's great. Thanks so much for that. Uh, let's uh, switch over to the other side of the ball. A lot of changes, even in the coaching personnel on offense. You've got a new OC in Brian Schottenheimer, who 
loves to run the football. They brought in a new offensive line coach and Mike Solari. Last year, there was a, a 40-60 split, passing the ball 60% of the time. Do you expect, uh, with Schottenheimer's wanting to run the ball, do you think that will move closer to a 50-50 balance, or do you think they'll still be throwing the ball around a lot? Well, the important thing to remember here is not just Schottenheimer. I mean, that's what Pete Carroll wants. I mean, Pete Carroll, you know, hired Schottenheimer because that's what he that's what he wants. And uh, um, Pete Carroll has always, you know, go back to when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, and I think, and they and they had by far the, the highest percentage of running plays in the NFL that season. I think I think it was like I think they threw it only about forty three percent of the time or something. And Pete views that as a template. You know, again, he's a defensive minded uh, head coach. It's saying he he's kind of old school that way of of running winning with defense in the running game. So, you know, that's him. That, that you know, Schottenheimer obviously comes from the background of that, but Schottenheimer's gonna follow the, the orders here of the guy who hired him to try to get the to get the offense to go that route. Um so uh you know the question will be can they do it? They've they've tried to reconfigure the offensive line to be a better run blocking team. Um, you know, re-signed Dwayne Brown, added BJ Fluker who I know gets a lot of mixed results mixed reviews out there for what he's done, but they feel like he can especially in, a, in the, from the run game standpoint um, be an upgrade in what they had in the past. Ethan Posick, you know, uh, they moved him permanently to guard. He gained about 20 pounds. They also feel like he can be a much better run blocker this season. Um, Jermaine Ofedi, they also feel like, you know, kind of a much criticized guy. Yeah, but, led the league in penalties last year. Yeah, for sure. But uh, I think they also feel like with his size and things like that, that, he, that that might also fit his style a little bit better. So, um, you know, we'll see. Who knows for sure. But it, it's certainly going to be an emphasis of theirs to, to make that be better than, than it's been the last couple of years. And if they do that, then they will ine- inevitably run the ball more. You know, if you're better at running the ball, you're going to run it more. Exactly, so, exactly. Um, it, it's all about how good they are doing it. Yeah, so last year, uh, Russell Wilson um, threw the ball 553 times, which was – the highest number of his career, yet he had the lowest completion percentage um, in his career as well. So I imagine Pete is hoping that with more emphasis on the running game, he'll be a more efficient passer. Do you think that's part of the part of the formula for well, success? Was, yeah, but it was also the first time in Russell Wilson's career they played a number of games where they were behind. And so I think just about any quarterback, when you're behind and you're just chucking it around a lot in the second half of games because you're trying vainly to come back, your your completion percentages inevitably go down. And, you know, and in some of those games you're just, you know, especially the fourth quarter and you're behind and you're just throwing it downfield as much as you can, hoping to get, make big plays and things like that. So, you know, there's an awful lot of game situation that goes into these things. It's not like that they, you know, they made these decisions going into the season that they're going to start throwing it more and all that kind of stuff. It was just kind of how a lot of a lot of things broke. So for sure, that, they, they want to get back to being, a, you know, the template for what, they would really like to do is um, kind of the end of the 2015 season when you know, that second half, Russell, you know, they were getting rid of the ball quickly. Um, Russell had the, had the amazing 24 to one touchdown to interception right. ratio. In the last, Doug Baldwin uh, in the last crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're not going to be able to exactly replicate that obviously, but that's sort of what, what they look, look at it. And, you know, they'd like to get back to being be that a little bit more where Russell's getting rid of the ball quickly, being decisive with it. Um, you know, maybe not, uh, you know, saving your, 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 your big hit chances for favorable situations and not when it's third and 15 and the other team knows you got to throw it a long right. way. Um, that, that sort of thing. So that's what they want to get back to. And then, you know, if you feel like you can run the ball pretty well at first, a second down and set up third and shorts instead of third and longs, you know, then your completion percentages go up. And that's sort of the, that's sort of what they want to get back to. Yeah. And Russell was second among quarterbacks in rushing attempts last year with 95. Do you think he'll run the ball 
as much? Do you think that's still going to be a part of the offense, letting him use his legs? Or Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's such a big weapon. He's always going to run uh, quite a bit. You know, even last night, one series, he had uh, two two carries for 14 yards, um, you know, just in a preseason game. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things where he's such a big – it's such a big part of, of what makes him such a, a valuable quarterback that you're never going to take that away. You'd be stupid to say <laughs> Russell don't ever run the ball. So Yeah. Um, but as he gets older, obviously, you know, I think they'd like to – limit the number of bits he takes and you know they saw how the 2016 season really sort of got derailed when he got hurt the first game of the season and even though he kept playing that you know really just made him a different player that year mm-hmm. um so you know uh, i think they'll maybe try to pick and choose things a little bit mm-hmm. and, pro- and they certainly don't want him to be the leading rusher on the team the way he right. was last year you know right Absolutely. they want him to get some help from some other people but uh but you're never going to take that away yeah. And now, like you just said, he did lead the team in rushing last year. And let's let's move over to those running backs now because they have made some changes. They brought in, as everyone knows, Penny with their first round pick, even though they had a lot of other question marks on the roster. But they, they spent that high draft capital on him. You've got Chris Carson coming back healthy. And then you've, of course, you know, Mike Davis finished off the season pretty strong um, and he's in there. And then you've got the two uh, third down guys in Procise and, and McKissick. There's a lot of a lot of running backs in in the backfield there. What do you think? How, how do you think this shakes out? I know Chris Carson's been getting most of the reps with the first team, but it's hard to ignore the fact that they did spend so much to get Penny. What do you think is actually going to happen once the season gets going? Yeah, I, well, I think Chris Carson will start. I mean, he's by far looks the best tailback that they have, and uh, you know he sort he of earned great it last he night. Was the starting, and he was sort of the starting. You know, people, one thing people forget is he was he was a starter last year. I mean, I keep I keep doing interviews with guys who seem to forget that that right. he was the you know essentially the opening day starter last year. Uh, basically, was their starter for the first four games. So it's not like he's come out of nowhere. Um, that he had, he sort of held that spot when he got hurt, and then he's come back and and looked just as good as he did last year. So they're still as excited about him as they were. You know, they drafted Penny in part because they've had so many injury issues at tailback the last three years. Really, if you go back to early in the 2015 season when Marshawn Lynch got hurt, and it's just been a real merry-go-round at tailback. And that's you know, Pete was willing to spend a lot of money to sort of solve that issue. I guess you know, it's kind of like if your car keeps breaking down at some point, maybe you just spend fifty thousand dollars on the most reliable car you can get because you don't want to worry about it anymore but yeah i mean tony strictly who's going to start uh when the season begins standpoint if everybody's healthy i think it'd be carson and then i think it'd be penny i think they could use penny in some third down type roles as well i think they, they like his receiving ability we saw last night he was on the kickoff return team as well um you know i think they'll find some ways to get him out there and and find ways to use him in a number of different ways and and uh you know still kind of make it worth it yeah now how do you think the the splits We'll go. Do you think if Carson's healthy, he'll be getting? I have no the... idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's. Uh... <laughs> I know you're probably uh, from a fantasy standpoint wanted the direct answer to that, but I, I, I don't know. It's I mean, so hard to tell. I, I, it's. I mean, I think if, if again, if Chris Carson is, is doing really well and he's gonna and he can be the guy who can. Uh, carry it 20 times and gain 90 yards a game or whatever, then you're going to, that's what you're going to do. You're not going to vary from that just to say, we got to get the other guy a certain amount of carries, which is why, again, I think they can find other ways to get Rashad Penny on the field. Um, you know, the, the Seahawks, if you, if you watch them and a lot of teams do this, but the Seahawks have always had a pretty clear, you know, there's a first or second down running back and then, and then there's a third down running back and that could be a really valuable role. 
And uh, I, I think Rashad Penny could certainly, I think they feel like anyway, could fill that third down back. And, you know, and you're still making a significant impact in the game. Yeah. And, you know, and then, and then, and then you get some series at some other spots. Um, you know, CJ Procise, you mentioned earlier, he's <laughs> kind of last the night again. wild card here. <laughs> yeah, he keeps oh. being injured. And again, that's another reason why they wanted to get Penny as well, because they've had yeah. trouble filling that spot as well. And, you know, for all the criticism they get, they got for releasing Alex Collins, part of that was all dictated by Procise and sort of, sort of the injury issues they had. And they sort of decided they had to keep J.D. McKissick to fill that role. And and the odd man out was Alex Collins at the time, and I think yeah. that's another thing they obviously regret, and another reason why I think they wanted to get Penny to sort of just feel like, okay, we're going to take care of this, and um, I think uh, you know hope to anyway have a couple of guys that could they could really count on to fill both those spots. Right, and and you mentioned the third down role maybe going to Penny, but like McKissick, I thought did a wonderful job last year in that role. I mean, he made some great receptions. They'd even like line him up outside and let him run receiver type routes, and he he was a really really great weapon for them at times. Do you think his role with Penny there now and possibly pro sites, do you think his role will mainly be special teams and a couple plays here and there? Uh, likely. Yeah. Um, you know, they used him last night as the primary returner with, uh, um, obviously just kind of giving Tyler Lockett some, some time off, um, or, you know, not having him do that. Uh, I think they value him in, in that way. You know, that said, I, I think it's far from a lock. He makes it. I mean, I think if pro sites were able to come, come back and, you know, look like going into the season that he's going to be fine. Um, he could be the odd man out here. I mean, Mike Davis is, is also sort of in the mix there and, and hard to tell exactly how that's all going to sort out. Um, you know, I think ultimately it's probably going to be depth. That's going to, that's going to, um, have a big part of that. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Lockett. Let's move over to the passing game real quick. Now, between Paul Richardson and Jimmy Graham, you've lost 182 targets, which is just about a third of the team's total targets. Um, Baldwin's currently injured. What are the Seahawks planning to do with the wide receiver and even tight end position? Um, so Baldwin's going to be fine. For do you that. think I mean, he'll be they're, fine they're, for opening know, day? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I think he's going to be totally fine. Um, Who starts you know, opposite him? Just another thing where, um, I think Tyler Lockett and Jerron Brown with your other in, a, in three receiver sets. I think they'll. Uh, um, I, I think they'll. Uh, uh, Use Brandon Marshall. I think assuming he can show he can play 15 to 20 plays a game, I think Brandon Marshall will also be a factor factor in that. I think that would probably be your top four guys if the season began today. Yeah. Um, after that, I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I, I try, trying to tell it, but I think Marcus Johnson, you know, the guy they got in the Michael Bennett trade, they like his special team his special teams capability and what he could add there. And obviously that's always a really key part of kind of your, your last couple of receiver spots is an ability to play a lot of special teams. And uh, the, the, they kind of had that in mind with Johnson when they brought him in. So I, I think he would be the other guy right now. And then, you know, you kind of have the draft picks from last year, Amara Darbo and, and David Moore, that uh, I think each are going to have to show something to assure they make the team. But, you know, Darbo was a third round pick last year and, that's you know that's quite a bit to invest in a guy, so I think they are I think they are going to have to um, you know kind of take that into consideration as well. Right. So half of the red zone touchdown are gone. With like Jimmy Graham was a most targeted um, player in the red zone last year uh, with 29 targets. He had 10 touchdowns. Paul Richardson though he had he had five touchdowns in the red zone. So you've got a lot of targets and a lot of touchdown receptions gone. Who do you think will fill that role? Do you think it'll be just a committee or do you think like Vinette showed some some great uh some great work down there in the red zone last night do you think he's a guy that could see an uptick in targets and opportunity or, or oh, do you he's think gonna he's gonna have to yeah <laughs> he's gonna have to I mean 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, they, you know, they, they let Jimmy Graham, Graham walk. They also let Luke Wilson walk. So, yeah, your top two tight ends go. So your top two tight ends now are probably going to be Ed Dixon and Nick Bennett. Uh, they drafted Will Disley as well. Um, they you kind of view him more as just really helping them in the running game and being more of an inline guy. So, for sure, uh, Nick Bennett, uh, you know, he's one of a number of guys that they're counting on young guys to, to do a lot more than they've done in the past. And so that's that they've certainly sent that message. We let a lot of veterans go, not just at the, you know, offensive skill position spots, but throughout the entire roster. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's, that's the thought here is those draft classes from 2016, 17, and, and even 18, this is their time to, uh, to really have to start doing that and doing quite a bit playing really well. So, um, for sure, that's uh, that's the plan and that's the hope. So can he do it? That's that's going to be the question. Yeah, absolutely. And he flashed a little bit here and there last year when they when they called on him. I think he could have a, a pretty good year. Um, but real quick, going back to Tyler Lockett and and Jerron Brown, in two receiver sets, do you think? Jerron Brown will will get the nod just because he's bigger receiver six two. Yeah, I, I think Jerron Brown's had a great camp. Um, he's I, I know he didn't don't do, didn't do much last night as, as starters generally don't in the first preseason game, but um, he's had a really good camp. He, he when they had their mock game on Saturday, he was the leading receiver, had six receptions, seems to have really uh, developed a, a quick early chemistry with Russell Wilson. So I, I yeah, I don't I don't really see that as a huge question at the moment. I, I think he uh, um, you know he he uh, he and Tyler Lockett. Doug Baldwin were consistently the top three, three receivers when Doug was out there early in camp, and, and I think that's sort of the plan going into it. So, um, you know, uh, Brandon Marshall, I think they view as being more of a guy who again could play maybe 15, 20 snaps, that sort of thing, a game, and help them in really specific situations, help them in the red zone, help them on third down. Um, I don't think they view him, you know, as a guy who's going to be able to, to play as regularly as he has in the past. But I think they feel like, you know, as sort of a fourth receiver kind of role that he could still that could still be a really valuable kind of thing and and you know a guy who you talk talk about Jimmy Graham and, and Reginald targets and things like that that Brandon Marshall could be a guy who could who could really help fill fill that gap yeah and that was one of the last questions um, I was going to ask you what was right around that um, point was last year in the red zone especially you'd see them draw up specific plays for Jimmy Graham like they had that one basic lob pass touchdown I think it was against the Cardinals last year for Jimmy that was just a beautiful play. Um, and do you think they'll try to design stuff like that for Brandon Marshall? I mean, he's a, a big target. He's a strong guy. He, he's he got a lot of experience in the league. Is that kind of how you see them trying to fit him in? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, they flat out said that that's sort of what they view him as being. So, again, not a guy who's probably going to play every single down like he did earlier in his career, but a guy who, because of his size, uh, brings a really specific – kind of uh, physical attribute that even as he maybe gets a little bit older and maybe doesn't have quite the same skill set that he did, but that doesn't go away, you know, being right. 24, 230 pounds and all that. So <laughs> yeah. that's what you would want to take advantage of. And that's what they would want to do with him. So definitely, um, you know, they'll, they, they will, uh, they will try to do that as much as they can. So I think if he, you know, right now, I think he makes the roster, uh, you know, they introduced him as a starter last night when they introduced the offense, even though uh, um, I'm not sure he got a single snap. I, I needed to pay closer attention to that very first series to see if he was ever out there at all. But, um, but he, he didn't get a target or anything, but, yeah. um, but you know, I, I think that's certainly how they envision it at the moment. Great. Well, Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Okay. All right. Thanks. Anytime. As you know, the NFL season is quickly approaching. Get ready for it with a subscription to Rotoviz NFL Pass, which you can get right now for 30% off. 
This discount is for listeners of the podcast only and is available through the NFL Podcast homepage at rotaviz.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our NFL content and tools. And best of all, it supports the podcast. Again, be sure to get your 30% discount for an NFL pass at rotaviz.com forward slash podcast. All right, and welcome back to the show. Let's take a few minutes here to discuss what Bob Condota told us about the Seahawks for this upcoming season. Let's start off with the defense because the Seahawks defense has been one that up until recently, people have coveted and even reached into the earlier rounds of drafts to grab in order to secure their spot on their roster. Now, I'm always the type of person who's going to recommend drafting defenses in the second to last round. And I think especially this year for the Seahawks, that should be the case. They are not projected to be extremely good. They have so much turnover, as we talked about, at every position except for linebacker. Their secondary is almost all brand new. Their defensive line is completely changed. You've got a few guys that are still in there. But for the most part, it's a bunch of new faces, and I just don't know what to expect from them. So to me, the Seahawks defense is one that I'm going to avoid. The defense, of course, does affect more than just the numbers they provide you if they are your DST. The defense will also dictate game flow. If the defense is not very good like many analysts project, Russell Wilson and company could be in trouble and need to catch up a lot during games. Bob Condota mentioned this when he was talking about the pass attempts that Russell Wilson had last year, where he said one of the reasons he threw for 553 pass attempts wasn't because it was part of the game plan, but because the Seahawks fell behind and had to try to play catch-up in many of these games, forcing him to throw the ball a lot more often than they would have wanted to. So if the defense isn't very good, this could be a problem for Brian Schottenheimer's hopes to run the football. If you think this defense is going to be bad, buy into Russell Wilson where he's going. Now, I think the Seahawks defense is going to be somewhere in the middle of the pack. I don't think they're going to be great. I don't think they're going to be terrible. I think they're going to be good enough to keep the Seahawks in a lot of football games. And I agree that the Seahawks will probably finish the year in that 7-9 to win range, like Bob was suggesting. I do think it's interesting to note that Schottenheimer's teams have ranked in the top 10 in scoring just once, and he's never had an offense ranked in the top 10 in total yards. So there might be a ceiling to this offense and what it can do. But I do think Russell Wilson will have the opportunity to continue as a strong quarterback for fantasy football purposes because the defense will give up enough points that he'll have to throw the ball to keep them in the game. Russell Wilson had a great year last year. Everyone knows that he finished as quarterback one in most formats, and a lot of that was due to his rushing totals. He ran the ball 95 times for 586 yards with three touchdowns. Beyond that, Russell Wilson accounted for 37 of Seattle's 38 offensive scores. Those types of numbers are unheard of and likely unsustainable. Russell Wilson, in order to continue as a high-end QB1, will need to continue to run the ball. And Bob Condota suggested that that will likely take place. He said, when you've got a guy like Russell Wilson, the last thing you want to do is keep him from utilizing all of his weapons. And one of his greatest weapons is his feet. So I think we can project him to continue to run the football. I think you'll still run the ball for about 85 to 90 rushes for right around 500 yards, and he'll likely get you between 
three and five touchdowns on the ground. Those numbers are pretty comparable year to year for Russell Wilson, other than the year that he was injured, like Bob talked about. Russell's currently going third or fourth quarterback off the board, right around the four or five turn, and I personally won't take him there. Now, full disclosure, Russell Wilson is my favorite player in the NFL, and I would love to have him on my football team this year. But at that price, I got a pass because there are so many concerns around this offense, and I am a little bit worried about the Schottenheimer effect for the season. Let's move over to the running back position where there's a lot of question marks. We all know Rashad Penny was drafted in the first round, even though the Seahawks had a lot of needs at different positions, both on offense and defense. They've really tried to address their running back position by adding him and by making sure they brought in good pieces for their offensive line, as well as the new offensive line coach. Running the ball is something Pete Carroll wants to do. You heard Bob say it. The year they won the Super Bowl, they were running the ball more than 50% of the time. That is pretty much unheard of in today's NFL. Now, they also had an elite defense then, which allowed them to do so. And like we said, that probably won't be the case. But they will be running the ball more, so what can we expect? Now, Chris Carson has been running with the first team for the majority of the preseason and throughout the training camp practices, and he saw a lot of work in their first preseason game. But Rashad Penny was out there too. He had 10 touches, 8 carries, 2 receptions, and Bob said he thinks he's really going to be involved, especially as a third down running back, which caught me by surprise. I had assumed that CJ Procise or JD McKissick would have that role, but Bob really thinks that Pete Carroll and company will want to put Rashad Penny in in those situations so they can utilize his skill set. Now, one of the things that's important to remember is that Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer aren't playing fantasy football. They don't care about getting one guy a lot of touches and a lot of looks. They're going to do whatever they need to do to win football games. And I think that means we see a running back by committee approach. And I certainly do believe there will be games where Carson will have 12 to 16, maybe even 18 carries. But there'll be other games where it's split and Rashad Penny is seeing just as much work or maybe even more work. And I think on a week-to-week basis, when both guys are healthy, it's going to be really difficult to trust either one of them to put up high running back numbers. I have some projections for you, thanks to the Rotoviz projection machine that I like to share. The machine projects Chris Carson to have 176 carries for 774 yards and five touchdowns, while Rashad Penny has 128 carries for 537 yards and three touchdowns. And even if Rashad Penny is the third down running back, I don't think we should expect a ton of work from him in the passing game. I still do think that Pete Carroll and company will want to use ProSize and McKissick a little bit. So even when you add in the receiving numbers, which I have Carson at 27 receptions and Rashad Penny at 36, I still don't think Rashad Penny is draftable at his current ADP. He's going 43rd overall as a 21st running back. That's right in the Ajayi, Lamar Miller, and Mark Ingram range. And I don't think Penny has the upside that those guys have. Now, if Chris Garson gets hurt, Rashad Penny is going to be a great, great draft day value at that price. But with Chris Carson in there, I don't think you can take him that early. You're talking about taking him in the fourth round where there's other established starters available for you. With the numbers that I gave you, Rashad Penny would end the year right around running back 40. Not a great value at all. Chris Carson, however, is another story. The numbers I gave you would have equaled out to 148 PPR points, which is a good enough for 28th overall. And in standard, 
he's right at 130 points, which would have been good enough for 23rd overall. Chris Carson is going 117th overall, right around the Booker, Montgomery, and Dante Foreman range. Now that is a value, and Chris Carson is a guy, if his ADP stays the same, he's a guy that's worth picking at that spot because he's a starting running back for a team that wants to run the football and has a great quarterback. I like my chances there. Grabbing a guy in the 10th round that has the potential to see RB1 workload is something that I'd like a piece of. Now his floor might be fairly low, but his ceiling is extremely high. There's a lot of variance, and I'm okay with that this late in a draft. Doug Baldwin finished last year as the wide receiver 11 in both PPR and standard formats. And he's being drafted to do the same this year, and for good reason. He has tremendous route running ability and amazing hands. He often makes cornerbacks look silly when they try to jam at the line of scrimmage, and he can release and get open down the field. Now, in 2015, he saw 17 red zone targets for seven touchdowns. And there's a lot of openings in the red zone now that Jimmy Graham and Paul Richardson have departed. Between the two of them, there's a 41 red zone target vacancy, and he'll definitely see a share of those. The projection machine numbers rank him as wide receiver 7 in standard and 10 in PPR. The projection machine predicts 120 targets for 72 and a half catches for 1,038 yards and 9 touchdowns. Now that's a solid season and a guy that I think is being drafted correctly as a wide receiver 12 off the board. What's most interesting for the Seahawks is trying to figure out what else is going to happen beyond Doug Baldwin. If you look at Russell Wilson's target distribution over the last few years, you'll see that he throws the ball to his wide receivers right around 60% of the time. Now we can assume that Doug Baldwin will remain in his 21-24% to target share which leaves a fairly significant number left. I went ahead and used the projection machine to try to figure out what we can expect from the remaining wide receiver core. The machine projected about a 17.5% target share for Jerron Brown and a 13% target share for Tyler Lockett. Now for Jerron Brown, that would result in 57 catches for 685 yards and four and a half touchdowns. Tyler Lockett, on the other hand, would have about 42 catches for 550. 29 yards, and also four touchdowns. But where do these numbers place them among other wide receivers? Well, for Jerron Brown, he would finish the year at right around wide receiver 40, and Tyler Lockett right around wide receiver 54. Jerron Brown has a real possibility to end the year as a quality wide receiver 3 or flex for your team. Again, I'm not expecting him to light the world on fire, but he has a lot of potential on this offense. Now, if Bob Condota is wrong about Doug Baldwin and he does miss some time, Jerron Brown could see even a larger workload as Russell Wilson does like to target the wide receiver position. And lastly, let's talk about tight ends. We've got a little bit of a mixed situation here. We've got Ed Dixon that was just brought in and Nick Vanette. Now, Dixon is still battling injuries, so it's hard to know what to project from there. Now, not many people realize that Nick Vanette was actually drafted in the third round by the Seattle Seahawks. And they had some pretty high hopes for him, but he's been battling injuries over the last couple of years. With Jimmy Graham gone, there's a lot of opportunity for him to provide a threat in the red zone, as well as stretching the middle of the field. He's not a guy you need to draft, but definitely keep an eye on him. If you decide to do tight end streaming, he's a player you'll probably be picking up at some point this year. Thank you guys for listening. That's going to do it for the Seahawks episode of the 2018 Rotoviz Radio Team Preview Series. I'm your host, Stéphane Lacoe, and you can find me on Twitter at StéphaneLacoe. Thank you so much for tuning in.
Thank you for listening to the 2018 Team Preview Series. Our assistant executive producer is Colm Kelly, and our executive producer is Matthew Friedman. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And contact us via email at rotavizradio at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at rotavizradio. Remember, you can always support the podcast by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, which is at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Thank you so much. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. I can't believe it. That Gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets? Look, here comes a 1.7% decrease in fixed overhead. Hello, everybody. No. I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with GEICO. Who are you? The projected increase in organic Q3 revenue. Hooray! Believe it. GEICO could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.